0: Now, here's your host, Joe Lynch. Hello, friends. Welcome to the Logistics of Logistics podcast. My name is Joe Lynch. Thank you so much for joining us today. Today's topic is the renewal logistics story with my friend, Courtney Folk. How's it going, Courtney?
1: Great. Thank you. How are you today?
0: Doing great. Doing great. Guys, stick around because Courtney is an absolute guru on a topic that very few people are a guru on. We're going to talk a lot about apparel logistics and fashion logistics. You said it, that sounds a little better, fashion logistics, but not just moving stuff. That's just part of what she does. And I think this is such a challenging area of logistics. We know cold chain has a higher bar. So does apparel. I mean, there are certain things that in an apparel business that are ridiculous, like the returns. Well, we'll let Courtney tell you about the rest of those. Courtney, please introduce yourself and your company and where you're calling from today.
1: Sure, I'm Brittany Folk. I am the CEO and co-founder of Renewal Logistics. We are a 3PL strategic partner for the fashion industry. We work very closely with apparel companies and that's really been our start is working with apparel brands. And we are based in McDonough, Georgia, which is about 30 minutes outside of Atlanta.
0: Damn, I feel like everybody is gonna end up in Georgia or Texas.
1: Yes, I agree. <laughs> Every time I, I talk agree. to someone One lately. Favorite issues that people are having up north that's because everyone's moving down, down south, down here. <laughs>
0: right now, being in January, I get it, Atlanta's nicer <laughs> than Detroit where I'm at, but it's like hell hot down there in the summer.
1: <laughs> well, yeah. That's true. Atlanta's nice. It's a higher elevation. So it's, it's actually a little cooler than other places. And yes, it is hot. Yes.
0: <laughs> Courtney, tell us a little bit about what you guys do. You have a warehouse. Is that what you guys do?
1: Yes, we do have a warehouse. We are a wholesale warehouse and fulfillment company. So we are in the, we do have a warehouse. We have two facilities here in Atlanta. One is a, a facility that just handles warehousing and fulfillment and special projects for clients. The other is a very large dry cleaning facility and eighty. 5,000 square foot dry cleaning facility where we handle returns as well as special projects and fulfillment for clients.
0: You went all over the place there. So you got, what are special projects? I know value-added stuff happens, but what are some of the special projects you guys are working on?
1: Yeah. So we do tons of value-added services for clients who are doing a lot of wholesale sales. So, you know, a great example we have right now we're doing about 100,000 units in the back of Ecom prep for Kohl's. Macy's Urban Outfitters about 45 different clients and and this is all on behalf of one of the large global apparel brands that sells a lot of product here in the US.
0: Oh wow. So that means you're shipping to those stores and you're also shipping to homes?
1: Yes, yeah, so we handle e-com fulfillment as well as wholesale dropship and retail programs. So for this customer in particular, the items that we have were actually, they came over from Asia, ready to go into a store. They're being converted to be sold e-com, which would mean taking the hanger off, putting them in a poly bag and then putting a bag tag on the item. And um, every single retailer in the U.S. has different requirements and chargebacks are a huge thing. So you have to do it right right and so we are prepping all of these goods to be sold to to these retailers and then we'll ship it out once the the prep process is complete
0: so now that so that i get now you mentioned dry cleaning and until i talk to you Oh, probably two weeks ago three weeks ago uh, i don't think i've heard anyone talk about dry cleaning in regards to logistics
1: yes yeah, very interesting uh, returns right apparel companies have some some apparel companies have up to 50 percent returns and a lot of those goods may have a perfume smell or you can just tell that they've been tried on and a lot of companies
0: even worn out sometimes right
1: normally if you have something that's actually been worn you can qc that and it won't actually go back into stock but
0: you, how would you know? That's the challenge we all have, right? Is you go, did somebody wear this sweater to a party and then decide I didn't like it and I'm going to send it back? <laughs> Who's to know? Unless they spill drinks on it.
1: <laughs> well, that's true. That's very true. The facility, we handle the dry cleaning. We also handle spot cleaning, steam cleaning. We have like a massive steam tunnel that'll put out like 15,000 units a day that to just steam clean them and, and basically get any wrinkles out.
0: I like that because I know at some point we are all buying something that was maybe bought and then and sent back. That's whether you're at a store or e-commerce. I like the idea that there's a dry cleaner in between.
1: Yeah, for sure. And and not and, and again not everything is dry cleaned, but um, usually things that if you t- if you were to
0: are suspect.
1: Yes, definitely <laughs> things that are suspect. And if you were to take things that came from, you know, if you if you send items back, something's going to have to be done to that item, right? It's not if I'm sure you didn't fold it the way that it looked when it was straight from the factory. That's right. really where our specialty lies when it comes to returns is refolding things to to be factory fresh so you know we were talking earlier about like horror stories of
0: oh yeah before we hit record you and i were talking about that yeah there are we've all gotten stuff where you go oh this was opened like i've gotten bags where it was taped back and you're like you open up the shirt you're like, yeah, somebody had this, sent it back, and then somebody taped up the bag. And I'm like, mm, it's not that bad usually, but it's just the thought of it because I just paid for it new. And now I'm, I don't want to have that sense that it's, and if it's coming back folded right and in the right kind of bag and it doesn't smell wrong.
1: Yes. A, a great example, just to kind of piggyback on your story. So my husband used to get a subscription service for clothing, loved it, used it for years and then decided he had enough clothes and he didn't need any anymore for a while. And then he came back a couple years later and ordered a new box. And I won't really say which company it is that obviously that, that he was buying. They're
0: not working with renewal. That's the problem.
1: They weren't at the time, that's right. And the goods came came to him. And the first time they were beautiful. They were perfectly folded and a nice handwritten note. It was just beautifully packaged. The two or three years later, it was everything in that box you could tell had been reworn. It was like they had-
0: <laughs> You bought like a, called you, the you, my used clothes boxes here. I can't wait to try it all on.
1: Exactly. And Brian was like, I am not touching this. I'm not even taking this stuff out of these bags. This is all going back. I'm not buying a single thing out of this kit. And, you know, so that's a great example of how, you know, if you have someone who can do it cost effectively and quickly, it's nice to have, it's nice to have a vendor that can bring things back to factory fresh. And we've invested a ton of money. Like we, we work with one of the largest men's dress shirt companies in the world. And so we actually imported all of these folding machines from Italy to be able to to really get that pristine perfect fold again like you would get from a men's dress shirt.
0: Right. My recommendation is you get more pins in those shirts. So when I get that shirt, I don't have to take out like 30 pins. I should take out like 60 pins out of my new <laughs> shirt. <laughs> <laughs> I think about this all the time when, ever since we've talked about it. When I was in college, me and my friends were invited a pajama party. So everyone had to go get pajamas. And I was like, so me and my friends all went to Meijer. Meyer's like Walmart, but it's over here in Michigan. It's in six states around here. And we all got pajamas. And I remember I was like, oh, I don't want these stupid pajamas and somebody said, oh, we're taking them all back tomorrow. I was like, oh, okay, that's good. Saves me 20 bucks. So I remember like the next day, we're all like putting our pajamas back in the bags and they're like beer stained, of course. And then all the cuffs were dragging around on the ground. all. And then we're like folding them nicely and putting them back in the bag so we can go back. And I was thinking, oh, shame on us, stupid kids. But there are still stupid kids out there who are trying to do that kind of stuff. And I'm sure it is horrible for some e-commerce companies to have to deal with.
1: Sure. And that's, you know, that's a, that's one example, the place where you see the most value to having a good returns vendor is if you have a good example is women's gowns, right? So like prom season people buy four or five of the of the dress that they want with different sizes to see which one is going to fit them they act
0: like they went into a a clothing store and went into the fitting room but that's not what they did they bought it all e-commerce now they're going to send it four back right
1: yep exactly that's a that's a big use case and
0: we've trained consumers to do that from a sustainability perspective it is kind of nightmarish
1: Oh, definitely, it's a it's a big deal. I think that's why it's nice to have an integrated solution that's your your fulfillment center as well as your return center because you know it does a lot of that.
0: It can clean it, clean it rather than just throw it out.
1: Well, yes, for sure. And 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 you know, if you think about having like a separate return center and a separate fulfillment center, you're going to have travel in between. You're going to have extra transport a lot of times in between. And so, from a sustainability perspective, having everything under one roof, if you have a separate returns vendor, for instance, the goods are going to come to that returns facility, and then they're going to have to be refurbished and then sent back to the 3PL. So it's moved twice. I
0: want one throat to choke, or as my one friend says, one one back to pat.
1: <laughs> yeah, I like that. Let's keep it positive. <laughs>
0: exactly. We'll get back into all of this in a minute, but tell me a little bit about you. Where'd you grow up? Where'd you go to school? Give us some career highlights before you started Renewal Logistics.
1: Sure. So I grew up in a really small town in South Carolina called Lugoff, South Carolina. It's right beside Camden, which is where the horse races happen, if you're familiar. oh okay. It's a, a tiny town. And I went to school at Charleston Southern University, which is such a great place. To to go to college
0: is that in Charleston, South Carolina?
1: It is, yeah.
0: I love that. It's one of my favorite cities ever. I love that place. It's the most historic city in America.
1: Oh, it's beautiful, yeah, and it's there's so much to do. It's and the restaurant scene there right now is amazing. You haven't been and used should go
0: i absolutely loved it there and yeah i mean the civil war started there and i mean it's called charlestown after the king right i mean if you look there's there's american history throughout that entire entire city and it's funny also when you go through it you're like these cities survived war and also it seems like a tremendous amount of storms and fires. It's and it's still just such a cool place.
1: Yeah, it's a great place and, and it was um it was just a really great experience going to college there, you know you just, you're around a lot of history and it's also not, it was a small environment. So it wasn't like a huge college where you have, you're in the middle of a city. So it was, you know, very focused on school at the time, I would say.
0: There's no football games or basketball games to go to, so you don't have to wear it Yeah, it. not a lot. <laughs> so what was, give us some career highlights before you started renewal.
1: So my husband, so I actually, I graduated with a couple degrees. I graduated with a biology and a history degree. That's why you're in
0: logistics.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's perfect fit, right? <laughs> Thought I'd go on to secondary education and decided not to. Decided to get into sales. And so I started my career out of college at Altel, which is now Verizon. And I sold corporate plans for fleets. And the first year I was there, I cleaned up all the, all of the whole middle part of the state in terms of every mechanical contractor in, in South Carolina was working with us at that point. And it was just a great experience for leverage, you know, what really worked well for one. One and you figured you could apply it to all of them, right? Like
0: That was a high-tech sale back then.
1: Oh my gosh, I could tell you some stories. All those phones had to be programmed manually. So... <laughs> it was wild.
0: Yeah, we take we take it for granted, but at one time our phones were very high tech. I mean, now now you can give it to a 3-year-old and they just seem to know how to use it instinctively, but that was not the case so long ago.
1: Yes, and this was during the time when if you were going to text, it wasn't pressing one button. It was like you're pressing the 5 key three times to get to the letter K. <laughs> <laughs> so, it's I'm, I just dated myself maybe, but that's okay, but
0: uh no. I've I've said this before. I always remember I was driving through getting I was at a drive through, getting some food. And I remember I got a text from a friend. But the way I perceived it was my friend's phone sent a message to my phone for some reason. And I called my friend. I go, hey, your phone just called my phone. He goes, no, I was texting you, idiot. I was like, what do you mean texting? He goes, I was texting you so we could meet up. I go, why don't you call me? He goes, because I was texting you. I was like, this is not going to last. This is stupid. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking, this is stupid. Why would he do this? Now, if you took away texting, I think half the world would shut down <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh my gosh yes for sure and I, I did that for a while my husband and i actually i met i met brian and I, i'll talk about him a lot today probably because we're kind of one in the same after after college for him he was actually a chemistry and biology major and he were he was a state law enforcement chemist so he did what people do on like ncis
0: oh like the forensic you yeah, know what do they call those criminologists or forensics scientists
1: Forensic toxicology is the lab that he worked in.
0: Oh, that must be interesting to watch the true crime with him.
1: Oh my gosh, yeah, he's like, you know, my job was never that, never that exciting. It was, it was the same in terms of the science. <laughs> <laughs> it was really boring. <laughs> <laughs> um,
0: I guess that's good.
1: Well, yes. And and so, you know, what happened with us was it was an interesting story. So we, we both, we met, both didn't really care for our jobs at the time. His parents had four little tiny dry cleaning stores. And the day that we decided we were going to get married, the next day I went to the office and was like, hey, I'm leaving. See you later. <laughs> Two weeks notice. And, and we thought, you know, we just need to jump into some business. And once we figure out this business, we can turn it into something larger. And so that's kind of what we did.
0: You made that sound really simple to start a business right there. (laughs) I know it wasn't that simple.
1: (laughs) (laughs) It wasn't. Well, and his parents already were there. So it was, we had a little basis of knowledge and I'm telling you, they were, they're brilliant. They're amazing people. They'd actually grown this huge dry cleaning business before and sold sold it, won a national award and sold it and then came back after their non-compete was over and was started back up again. But, you know, we were just kind of like, you know, we're dealing with each customer only has like four items, right? That's the average size order. What can we do with this equipment to where we can service a much larger, you know, more units per customer? So we actually got into the insurance restoration business and we started helping customers get their lives back together after house fires by cleaning all of their clothing and their apparel items.
0: Oh, I didn't even think about that. You would have like, so a whole a whole bunch of closets of clothes that might be smoke damaged rather than throw them out. Can they be dry cleaned and... You keep them. And that goes and bedding too, I guess, uh, f- furniture, everything.
1: Exactly. We never really got into the furniture, but yeah, they're...
0: Well, I, I, what I'm saying is that we get smoke damage and maybe have to be thrown out, but anything you could save, you would want to save.
1: Exactly. Yeah, it's, it's a lot less expensive, obviously, and it's great. It's better for the environment. You're keeping things out of the landfill. And honestly, customers don't want to have to do that much shopping. <laughs> Surprising. You would think that they would, but it's, it's you know, who wants to go shopping? Well, insurance
0: probably? companies also don't want to write you a check to replace your wardrobe.
1: Right, exactly.
0: God, wouldn't it be kind of nice, though, if they came in and they said, oh, okay, we just looked in your closet this thousand dollars you're like yes <laughs> give it to me i'll go buy five thousand dollars with the stuff <laughs> i know imagine some people are listening going uh, that would not do it but for me it would do it
1: <laughs> right <laughs> yeah they well sometimes they will offer that sometimes it's a low number though it's usually like you know whatever the cleaning cost would be versus the replacement cost but yeah i mean you know every situation is different for customers you have those that would want to take you up on that and then you have the mom who is going to have to go shopping for two kids and a, a husband and When's she going to find a time to do that? Along with the fact that they just lost everything they own, and you know their kids' teddy bears and all those types of things. There's tons of sentimental feelings that are so. Up you there.
0: got into that business, and that was was that a good business? I, how did you make the leap over to logistics?
1: So that was interesting. So we actually grew that business to become the largest independent restoration dry cleaning company in the U.S. Oh and my so god! We have
0: Congrats!
1: Three facilities. One's like twenty-five thousand square feet. One's like eighty-five thousand square feet, and then we have another real small one that's.
0: If and where are, they, where are those located?
1: One is in South Carolina, in our hometown, Chapin, South Carolina, and then the other is in Atlanta. So in 2013, we made the jump from that industry into logistics. That's a really interesting story. We had a client who was a factory sale, factory representative. from He represented like eight factories in Asia, and they sold, they're like one of the biggest jeans sellers in the world. They manufactured jeans for a lot of different brands. And they had 300,000 pairs of jeans that they had sold to a customer in the U.S. and they had to be cleaned before they could be sold.
0: I'm just curious, why did they need to be cleaned?
1: So the leather on the back of the belt you Know the the belt loop that normally has the
0: leather, oh, ble- it bleeds.
1: It actually it had it was contaminated with mold, and so it contaminated all of these clothes. And they were all even if
0: one third of them had mold, you just say, like Clean all of them, right? Not, not let's not take the chance.
1: Oh, 100%. The whole PO, all anything that had was using that leather.
0: So they so they came to you and said, Can you help us? Or did, how did you get connect with that big apparel company? Yeah,
1: that was so funny. And they found us on the internet and this guy called and he was like, you've got to help me. I can't find a solution anywhere in the world. Anywhere in the world. And he's like, my customer is going to lose their relationship with this, with the, the largest big, box the big retailer, in the whole U.S. Like this was a, I mean, a huge deal. They called on a Friday afternoon. We were like, yeah, we can do it. And so he was like, okay, well, let's talk some more tomorrow on Saturday. So I was like, okay, let's talk. So he's like, yeah, it's 300,000. Can you clean multi items? We're like, yes, we can. Can you clean jeans? Yes, we can. Can you clean 300,000 pairs? Sure we can. Well, how are you going to get them to your facility? Oh, we'll bring our truck. No, this is like nine tractor trailers worth of jeans that that have to be cleaned. And we were like, okay, well, we can get it done. And then he was like, well, it has to be done in two weeks.
0: Wait a 2nd a second. You're doing the math. How many per day? <laughs> How many per <for> hour? <laughs>
1: exactly. 27,000 per day is the number we had to get to. Prior to this, I think our top day, we'd maybe done 5,000 in a day.
0: So you had to ramp up. Really fast with really temp fast. labor, or how'd you? How
1: did we use temp labor? And we so we actually created a whole new solution, and it was it's really funny. So we went to we heard about it on a Saturday. The number came to Atlanta on a Sunday. Met with their customer on a Monday morning, and spent about eight hours telling these people that we could handle this project and explaining how. And it was like fifteen suits around this big table of this global brand, and they were like, "How are these two kids going to come in here and do this when no one else in the world can do it?" We ended up getting an agreement from them to go ahead and move forward because they didn't have a choice <laughs> well
0: it is a, it feels very say obscure i mean it's just i know it's a problem but i don't I've done 300 and some interviews, and I've not talked to anybody else who says we do dry cleaning, of, like you're describing, on volume dry cleaning.
1: Yeah, it happens all the time. I mean, we just did a 2 million unit job of shoes. Like, it happens all the time. People don't want to talk about it because, you know, but it happens all the time. And, and in this case, we actually were able to come up with a completely different cleaning method. We had 200 workers, two shifts, and... Uh,
0: did you have enough equipment for all this, or did you how did you line up the equipment for all that?
1: Yeah, that was a good question. We found we found some different ways to do I can't really get into too much. That's it's kind of proprietary how we do it, but We were able to trust
0: me, no one wants to do that. (laughs) (laughs) Go ahead and try and copy Courtney and her husband and their team. Go ahead and try.
1: Oh my gosh. Well, you said yourself your dad was in the dry cleaning business. You know what it's like.
0: Yes, yes. I told Courtney this before we hit record. My dad worked at Ford Motor Company. He was an engineer and he always wanted to be in his own business. So we should say my dad. my mom, and so my dad bought a dry cleaner. And instead of he was debating, he was going to buy the first Little Caesars franchise. You know, Mike Mike Illich, the founder. They played softball together. He said, Mike Illich begged me and tried to convince me why you should buy my first location so we can franchise. Instead, my dad bought this damn dry cleaner. And so I told Courtney when I was sick when I was a kid, if I said I don't feel good today, usually faking it, my mom would say, "Oh, that's fine. You'll come with me to the store." Oh, I feel better. And yeah, I think I can power through, Mom. <laughs> like and and so to this day, when I go in a dry cleaner, I just, I dread that smell. (laughs) That reminds me. And by the way, it's not like my parents were abusive, but you know how little kids are. I felt like I spent like 20 hours a day there. Well,
1: you probably did. I mean, back then it's a little different than it is now, but like those, those facilities... I mean that is like the worst job in the world is to own a dry cleaning business like a, a mom and pop dry cleaning business because you it's hard to- we
0: were mostly laundry it was mostly a laundromat so ours went I think I think ours went out so like the dry cleaning wasn't done on in the facility
1: Oh
0: I don't remember I was a kid but anyway I don't know this I love pizza and I don't like dry cleaning. <laughs> <laughs> Then my dad had to live with that for many years. I remember Mike Gillage bought the Red Wings, and they bought the Tigers. And I remember every once in a while bumping into him. He's like, hey, Joe. And I was thinking, yeah, that's great. I should be there in the box seats at the Red Wing game. (laughs) Anyway, so getting back to it, you guys got their first contract, built this quick temp team. And again, you guys are kind of like the rapid response team because that is not easy to ramp up to 27,000 units per day when you were doing one-fifth of that the day before
1: yeah exactly it was it was really crazy and did
0: you know at that point this is a this is its own separate business separate from the fire restoration
1: so the only reason we took that i told brian i said i got that call and i was like i don't know if this is real but if it is real this is our break into the next industry that's going to allow us to become a global solution because we've been looking for all of you know We've all, opportunities always come, right? And you have to turn down a lot of different things. But I, I just remember thinking to myself, this is what is going to give us the opportunity to go into a much, much larger industry. And so we have to we have to figure out how to make this happen. And there were many days and many nights when it was a real question, but I, I knew it from the moment that we heard that you know, once I really knew all the details of the job, Uh, the project. When we were there talking to the client, trying to sell them on the service, I I knew we could do it. And I I knew it was possible. I even had the strategy in my mind and the layout of the floor plan laid out. And so executing it actually was, there was a lot of stress around that for everyone, especially for our clients, wondering if it was actually going to happen. But for me, I felt like, you know, I was completely solid knowing that it was going to work. And, and it was amazing. We actually, to these jeans, they had stickers that had the label down the side. They had the little joker tags that go over the top. They had the hang tags. They were in prepacks in these cases of like- So you
0: had to take all that off before you did the dry cleaning, We had cleaning, to do right?
1: all of this trim work. We had to re, so we had to break them all out into like black and navy blue, all the different sizes, process them, bring them back pick them, put them back in cases into these assorted packs. It was just, it was really crazy. But you know, what ultimately happened was they came back to us, the the client that purchased all these jeans to sell to their big box retailer. They said, you guys saved us in terms of like, not, not missing this PO. And
0: losing a relationship.
1: Yeah. Well, but they were like, well, we know we're going to get killed on chargebacks with this. And we're still worried about the relationship actually. And then Two weeks later, they they called us and they were like, you'll never believe this. And we were like, what? And they said they inspected all these goods and they had zero complaints. There were no chargebacks on this order. And they were like, who are y'all and where?
0: There's chargebacks on perfect orders. I mean, they came without being damaged.
1: Exactly. It was and it was just that attention to detail had been.
0: By the way, explain what a chargeback is for people who don't have to live that waking nightmare.
1: So these big box, any any company that is a retailer, you know, they have a certain amount of people in their company to be able to sell on the retail floor. They don't have people who are there to just constantly fix things, right? So they have these extremely strict rules to their retailers. For instance, a size eight dress, it better have the right size eight label in it, right? It can't say it's size 10 and a blue dress can't say that it's actually a black dress. So all of the ticketing, you know, like the, the labels, the hang tags that you'll see on clothing has to hit certain compliance standards. The SKUs have to line up with what's actually, so maybe there's 24 units of one SKU in a case. There actually has to be 24 units in every single case. If a case is light, there's a chargeback. If something is tagged inappropriately, there's a chargeback.
0: Or even folded wrong, like if it had a big crease in it because it somehow got loaded wrong and now it's got a big crease. So like, I can't put that on my shelf because I don't want to, it's not my job to iron it.
1: <laughs> exactly. And, and chargebacks are like a huge part of this whole industry, right? So not only do you have it on the way that, items are packaged and the way that items are trimmed and by trimming i mean the labels and the stickers and everything but you also have it on the way that the cases are packed and the way that the the pallets are, are created and
0: yeah they got to receive it into their system and you have to comply to that so you can't give it say hey every time you get this stuff from xyz company it's going to be different no can't be especially if you're especially when you mentioned big big players like if you're a walmart costco meyer you know any large retailer they need compliance or if they don't run they can't run at their optimal pace if you give them stuff that are you know one
1: offs exactly Exactly, and and they get a bad rap for it, but it really makes sense. I mean, like, and you know that that process of kind of having that punishing chargeback system. I mean that that is what makes so many of these retailers provide a perfect product to them. You know, like there's a lot. So, the
0: chargeback when they say, hey, this had a, this was missing a button or the trim was wrong, which might be a tag or it was folded wrong, and they charge that back to you. Does that that mean we're not paying you the money we owe you on that or? and we're sending this back how's that what's the actual logistics of it so what
1: happens is they'll start with like a one percent inspection and then if they start seeing errors they'll go they'll jump to two percent five percent ten percent and as they go from one level to the next the amount that they charge that that vendor goes up as well so like maybe the first charge back, at 1% is like small, right? Like, okay, I'm going to charge you 10 cents for this item. By the time that you get, and, and, and they grade their vendors as well. So like you go from like a grade A vendor to an F or, you know, and if you're an A, then you're, you're paying hardly anything and you're hardly getting any inspection. If you're an F, you're getting everything inspected and everything they find. Let me tell you this example.
0: But do they also send it back? So in addition to the fine, which is the chargeback, do they also send the product back or tell you to pick it up?
1: Not usually, not unless it's like a really huge issue. But
0: They'll fix it in store.
1: But, but here's how it'll go in terms of the chargebacks. Like this, I just recently saw one for a company where we're taking over their chargeback program, but $800 for a case label that had ran So just the case, a case label on the outside of the box, they were being charged $800 because they'd gotten to the point to where they were, you know, not an A player anymore for this company. So it was just that that's how extreme some of these chargebacks can actually be.
0: So maybe they're saying we can't easily scan that into our system and you're making our life misery in the, in our facility. So, and it's, let's face it, shelf space, even at big stores is contentious. You have to earn that every day. And I think during COVID, we learned certain brands weren't on the shelves. I've heard this before in my podcast that some stores, grocery stores, learn that when we have seven types of peanut butter on the shelves, we sell more peanut butter than when we have 27. And we've always just said we want, more, we want more options, right? We That's that's what we want. But let's face it. We've all wandered by the store and go, God almighty, which there's 27 peanut butters. Which one do I want? I think we're going to see certain stores. We already see them. Aldi, which my mom and my sister absolutely love. Costco, they have very few few skews compared to other stores and they're doing really really well too so i wouldn't be surprised some other stores say we're going to test that out because yeah it's so i always feel like if you're going to get rid of an apparel brand or any brand you're going to look at that Some that they don't do a good job sending stuff to us right sales is just part of this discussion
1: a lot of times companies will have one shot with one of those companies like a walmart or you know whoever and if it doesn't go well it's over Yeah, you
0: get you get a shot, and if it doesn't work, you're out.
1: And that's a big piece. Most companies that are kind of entry level, you know, that whole EDI compliance and the wholesale compliance for the in terms of the chargebacks. That that's like the largest barrier, in in my opinion, I don't know, I haven't done the research on it, but I would say that's one of the very largest barriers to entry for a company that, you know, can either make or break a company because not only can you not get another order for them, but if you start getting chargebacks and those numbers start, you know, that can become very expensive very fast.
0: So I want to switch gears on you. So it makes sense. We're calling you renewal logistics because you're renewing some of this stuff that has been damaged. You said something, and maybe you said it before we hit record, but you said we have an integrated solution. So that means you've gone way beyond just dry cleaning, managing chargebacks. So what do you guys, well, first off, what do you mean by integrated solution?
1: Yeah, so that, you know, we, our entry into the business was managing apparel in terms of returns and in terms of like value-added services from that perspective, like cleaning items, mold remediation, reticketing and repricing. Our business has definitely grown since then to where we now handle standard fulfillment and like e-com, wholesale and dropship distribution for brands. And so our company is just really, really good at handling all avenues and all aspects of apparel when it comes to selling it in the U.S. channels, right? With our company, you have the fulfillment, you have the e-com distribution, the dropship, the the wholesale orders, we can help manage that. But we also are doing these value added services programs and these returns programs, and it's all in-house. It's not, you know, it's through one system, it's through one database, it's through the same managers are touching these things. It's people who are, you know, we've, we've got some of the most educated people on apparel, you know, in the U S that actually work here. So that's kind of what that means. And, and the way that it works, a great example of why that's important is I have one client who is another global brand and they, they had like a million units that were returned to them from Walmart that didn't sell through. And this is undergarments.
0: Whoa. Where were they sent back?
1: They just didn't sell. They were, they were being sold in, in single packs and they just didn't sell. And so, you know, we, we handled their shipping. We also handled their returns. And so they, Said, "Well, Walmart, let me cut you a deal. What about this? What if we put these into five packs and create PDQ displays, and then send them back to you?
0: What is what is PDQ?
1: Have you ever seen those end cap displays at Walmart or Target?
0: Yeah, they're like the stand up stuff. Yes." cardboard. So it's the display. So you guys do a lot of display work for the retailers you work with?
1: Mm -hmm, We do. We handle like all the display builds for a lot. I mean, a lot of apparel brands as well as um, some other products. But yeah, like a lot of the stuff that you see in Walmart. So
0: getting back to it, you said, let us take these back. And they were selling in single packs. And you said, let us put them in five packs.
1: Mm -hmm. And so that's what we did for this apparel company. We actually took all of their product, received it back, handled the return. And then we broke it out into a project plan and created, you know, variety packs and of different size distributions and then we were able to roll them put them into you know the packs that you would see at walmart that're like clear that show what's inside put the sticker on top that shows what size it is build the display we built the displays they came in just like flat cardboard and then they were able to ship them back and then they all sold through so they sold the same product to the same customer they just had to have it packaged a little differently so that it would it would be appealing
0: that's what you mean by integrated so it's from most people don't specialize i don't think in a pair. I know there's some companies that do it. But so you can do sending it retail. You can also do e-commerce. But also you're managing chargebacks. You're managing returns, displays. If there's ever damage to it, you can also do the, I don't know, do you call it remediation or whatever you call, you know, managing those returns. And by the way, you would know this better than I. Sometimes I've, I've heard this. Some things get returned. And let's just say it's a very expensive purse. I've heard people say they're not going to send it back to factory or anything. They destroy these rather than put them out on a secondary market and they're trying to save their brand and other times i've heard people say you get stuff back and it's dirty and they just go this is dirty something happened to this you're throwing it out which is ridiculous because as you mentioned i think the average for returns is like 30 percent in e-commerce we can't throw everything out
1: And you know, and the returns on the retail side, I mean, you know, thirty percent for e com that's whatever. Let's say it's a hundred thousand units that a company's selling, that's thirty thousand units that we're getting back that we're handling for returns. You have these large retailers have million unit returns every year, all the time. Like returns are a huge, huge aspect.
0: And they are unexpected because you can't plan for those, really. Um, you can guesstimate what you're gonna get, but no one wants to plan for failure, right? So you plan on I sent it to them, I don't want any returns. But it's it's, it's unexpected and the cost of is i've I've heard people say it the cost of return is ten times the cost of Sending. It. Yeah,
1: and I, I don't know.
0: I was throwing that out. Is it, who knows? It could be five times or one, three times, but it's not cheap to manage that.
1: I think if you have a really thoughtful program, it's probably one time the cost of actually creating the item. It's still super expensive, though. I mean, it's still extremely expensive, you know, but there's a lot you can do to manage it. And, and not every single unit that is a return, like I was saying before, is going to have to have all of that work to it. So, like, not every unit's going to have to be dry cleaned. You get a lot of returns back, and it's like another example is like an underwear brand. You know, you'll have these like cardboard car- cases of like three pack of men's boxers or whatever. The packages just may be a little dented and they just need to be swapped out. So like there's a lot of different, you know, there's a lot of different elements to returns. And, but you're right. Like a lot of times these high end brands don't want to dilute their brand and sell things to TJ Maxx or Marshalls. And so you have to get creative with them. And, you know, in returns, there's like a whole menu of services you can do. So like, let's say that you have these items that are, you know, perfect and you can sell them as new. So that's one channel. Maybe they're not completely perfect. You have different disposition channels that you can actually put them through. So maybe they sell to a TJ Maxx. Maybe they sell to a Ross. Maybe they can be donated. Maybe they would be a lot cooler if they would just add a little trim to the item. And so, you know, adding some extra design elements or fixing the fact that there was a fit issue, there's just, there's a lot of things that can be done to to returns. And
0: that's if you got the right partner, and I'm not just saying this to be complimentary of your service, but I don't think most warehousing companies are equipped or even want to be equipped for that.
1: The great thing about the way that we were grew up in this business is with our main client, the client I was telling you about what, that we started with, they were like, well, what else can you do? And they just taught us everything that we know. And they, they have brought in factory reps.
0: They built what they needed.
1: <laughs> they did. That's exactly what it was. They were like, okay, we've got a willing partner who is moldable, so we don't want to handle any of this stuff in our building. You guys take it and do it. But you're right. There's not a lot of companies out there that do it. And, and it's, you know, I heard someone say that building a rocket means that you can't really have a steering wheel because you just want it to, you know, zoom as fast as, as possible. And I think that's certainly true. So I understand why a lot of 3 companies just want to handle like one certain type of something small that's, you know, going to fit in a little red basket and that's it. But for us, you know, we understand apparel and we love apparel and we love, you know, learning new things. So for us, those.
0: What percentage of your business is apparel business?
1: 90, 98% probably.
0: So this is what you specialize in. And by the way, I've before I started this podcast, I'd been in many warehouses. I had wandered through, didn't know how they ran necessarily. But since I've started the podcast, what I've come to understand is... We all I think a lot of people go, That's a warehouse. A warehouse is a warehouse is a warehouse. But there's certain warehouses that move industrial stuff. So they might so it has a different feel to it. It's not industrial stuff is very different than apparel. Food is very different than, you know, parts and service, right? So I think there's so many of these such so, such diversity within the warehousing space. And e commerce, you mentioned the rocket ship. E commerce just wants to get stuff out the door. There's certain warehouses that are say, Hey, look, if we receive that order by two PM, it will get on a truck by the end of the day we're going to ship it today well that that is a difficult mission and so people managing that god bless them that's hard you can't take on everything so i like it that you've picked a specialization and i'm sure you live some of that e-commerce life you have to do that but at least it's all apparel and you can say we're staying in our wheelhouse for right now (laughs)
1: yeah yeah for sure like there's you know like only a couple companies that do frozen food well and then there's like the big and bulky there's one or two companies that do that really well and that's that's really what we want to be that's what we aspire to be is that you know that apparel specialist and like the go-to for apparel companies but you know. No, apparel's not simple when you think about Like most 3PLs don't want to touch it because there's like so many SKUs, you know, like, so the way that 3PLs make money is they, they look at the dollar per square foot that they're able to make off of a customer. And, and that, that's going to be a lot higher if you have one SKU and you've got a lot of touches for one SKU and it's just sitting on one pallet, but you're moving tons of product for that one SKU. But with apparel, it's completely the opposite of that. You've got thousands of SKUs and it's seasonal. So some things are going to sit for for longer than others. I
0: think also, yeah, you mentioned the seasonality of it. I'm in Michigan and it's January, so I wanted to go buy a a sweater. All the sweaters are, for the most part, gone. You can, the sweaters, why? Because they don't want to be stuck with a sweater come April, May. Even though we have February, March, and April to wear sweaters, they don't want those sweaters. And so, you know, when you have that kind of seasonality, retailers are in a real jam that way, because they don't want to, nobody wants excess inventory that doesn't sell you become kind of the the fuse for all that right you're the one that the problems come flow back through your organization when they got a problem right
1: we have vendors that can help with that you know like we have partners that will take on salvage items whenever things are end of season and and we work you know we work really closely with our customers to say hey you know what this hadn't sold in six months this is what you're paying for this unit right now to carry it do you want to keep this do you not because it's like skew inflation i don't know if you've ever heard of that but that's kind of the
0: what does that mean it's
1: like where buyers will get a great deal on a certain run of fabric and so they'll create a ton of units thinking they're going to sell and then they just sit and then it's like okay well i don't want to get rid of this inventory it's great inventory i've already paid for it at some point you have to look at what what you're spending to just carry it versus donating it and liquidating it you know or not donating but writing it off and liquidating it so and and that you know again the way 3PLs make money is by holding inventory and it's a cost per foot and it's a profit. per So, you know, you don't, you don't, I don't want my customers to have inventory that they're carrying that I'm not touching because it's going to hurt them. It's also going to hurt me. So, you know, we try to help them to figure out the best solution for what to do. But we were talking before about like diluting your brand by, you know, you don't want to sell a high-end purse to TJ Maxx. So a lot of times what companies will do is they'll actually change out the labels on those things. And then what, you, when you
0: yeah. say they change the label, they mean you change out the label.
1: Yes, sometimes.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's I, I understand that would that would make sense. Because if you got a purse that is selling for $800, and then and you say, I, I don't want it to sell through TJ Maxx for $200. And I'm picking on TJ Maxx. I love them. <laughs> I but um, <laughs> I always remember when TJ Maxx opened or came to Michigan, I worked right next door to one and I remember going over and shopping at lunchtime and I was like, oh my God, these prices are so great. But they sold a ton of irregulars there at that time. So they've changed. Now you go over there, it seems like it's much more like consistent, like not all not all ruined stuff that, you know, I'm wearing a sweater that's got an, you know, the arm arm is three inches short. <laughs> <You know? laughs>
1: Yeah, you know, I remember that too back in the day. It has, they've come a long way. They've they've come. And I think there's just a lot of excess product.
0: That's yes. There. Marshalls, TJ Maxx, and Home Goods are all owned by the same organization and they all do a fantastic job. Yeah,
1: that's great. It's great.
0: So switching gears, we talked about this integrated solution that you guys have. And you know, one of the things before we hit record, you were talking about the idea of bringing relief to a problem. So talk about that for just a sec.
1: I don't want to, I talk about this all the time. I feel like I'm always banging this drum in our company. And I guess- You can
0: bang it here. You
1: know, that's my job to do. But like, yeah, our biggest core value is bring relief. You know, I, I can't tell you how many customers you get on the phone with them or on the video call now to talk about being their fulfillment solution. And they spend 20 minutes just De- decompressing <laughs> over all of the struggles that they've had. And I, I, my, my big question to them is always, if you didn't have to worry about your supply chain anymore, if you did not have to worry about your order fulfillment, you did not have to babysit your 3PL, what all could you actually accomplish with your time? Like how much further could you move the needle in your bu- in your business? And they're always like, oh my gosh. You know, you can just see it on their face, like the stress that they feel from having to babysit this. And like, if you think about it, like one problem and the chain that can come from that in terms of like the trickle-down effect with a large company if you if, if we did something wrong and you know your favorite brand was no longer able to sell all of those goods to the store and then all had to be pulled back think of all the emails the the meeting time the the, the time in transit to get the product.
0: oh god and there's no process for any of that it's just all one-off right you know, cause you got to respond to it.
1: And it's millions and millions and millions of dollars. It is million. I did a, I did a time study. I could actually, I don't have it in front of me, but like looking at just one email, if 20 people are on an email and they have to read one email, that's an hour for, you know, so time adds up really fast. And, but yeah, bringing relief is just kind of like our thing. And it's also, it's not just about what we, what our value prop is to our customers. It's also every employee in our company should be bringing relief to the team and we should be bringing relief to our, our employees, you know, they're here for stability, they're here for a good job, they're here to have like development and training and op- growth opportunities. That's what we bring to our employees. To us, they bring solutions and they bring, bring discretionary effort and they bring accountability to our customers so that, you know, we can have a scalable solution. Like we're handling millions of units in our building a week and we inspect every single case and we have almost 100% perfection in our building. Like literally last year, we had less than 50 defects in our building. And it's because of this culture That's that we and and it's all about that bringing relief and making people really feel personally accountable. Personally, you are accountable personally for this company's success and whether they grow or not. Bringing relief is like my, I talk, like I said, I talk about all the time. I talk about that. I talk about promoting trust. Like if I can't trust you, you don't need to be here. And if our customers can't trust us, so honesty is extremely important. And like, you know, we're not overselling anybody on anything that we do. It's it's always a big gut check on that. And, um you know, before we get anyone to commit to working with, us, we're really asking a lot of questions to make sure they're going to be the right fit. And then the third thing is discretionary effort. If you're not putting a tremendous amount of discretionary effort in, that's what propels a company for growth. And so that's what we're always asking for and we're looking for from the people that that come to work with us. And that's what we tell them we expect when it comes to taking care of our customers.
0: The nature of your business is so high touch. I mean, you have to. In my podcast day-to-day, we talk a lot about technology. A lot about technology. And I'm all for it. Because let's face it, it keeps bringing new ways to add value, new ways to streamline the process. Ultimately, our our business is picking stuff up and putting it in trucks and shipping it somewhere and then taking it out of that truck and selling it, right? Whether it's cars or clothes, it doesn't matter. That is the hard part of this business and it has to be done. And there's no way to, I mean, we can make it easier. We can make, we can develop better processes. We can hire the best people possible, but it is still grind day to day. I heard somebody describe it as, it's like doing a performance of cats every single day, right? Like, like the musical where it's just like everything has to be perfect today and then tomorrow everything has to be perfect there's no if somebody paid a lot of money to sit in that seat that by the way not me <laughs> somebody sits in that seat they don't expect oh this has been a long week and it's we're gonna be a little half-assed today no i paid to go to <laughs> cats damn it <laughs> this is a once-in-a-lifetime experience
1: that is the best that is so true
0: yeah you've got to bring that every day
1: yeah and it's so highly choreographed that's a great analogy
0: well, thank you. That's that's my job sometimes. Courtney, let's wrap this bad boy up. I think I know what you're going to say, but who is your sweet spot? Who do you guys work with?
1: So we work with the global apparel brands. Obviously, that's what we talked a lot about. That's where we really got our start. But in the last like three years, we've also really gotten to where we are solutioning for medium sized, like mid-market apparel brands and even some small apparel brands.
0: Yeah, there's a lot of emerging market companies coming out of clothes right now that are e-com, right?
1: Yes, 100 percent. Exactly. So we're we're looking for those that are, we can tell, have a really strong business sense that can that can grow so that we can kind of be their strategic partner to really help them take off.
0: And I guess I'll put these words in your mouth a little bit. I think a lot of people could say we work with global apparel brands, but you work with them in a way that others don't. I mean, you're bringing something much, much deeper.
1: <laughs> so there's, you know, you can have your, I heard someone say this the other day and I thought it was just so smart. You have your do-it-yourself option, which is really great for companies that are for a transactional relationship. There's those types of 3PLs. Then you have the ones that are like so massive that a cog in their wheel. And then you have where you're a strategic partner with the company that you're working with. And we're we're more of that strategic partner type relationship, you know. So like we'll handle one-off things for customers, like especially if it's a big need and, and they can't find a better solution and they just they need immediate, urgent help. But we really do love that whole partnership. Like it, we one of our big drivers in our warehouse is, I mean, we talk to our warehouse workers every day about what our customers are trying to accomplish. And so being a part of their goals is just very exciting to me. And I think that's another thing that's kind of interesting we didn't talk about and an we don't have a lot of time but I like 2500 warehouse workers and so like going into fulfillment was like a no-brainer for us because peak season happens and everyone always talks about I was on the phone today with this girl who was she was like my facility tells me that we are deprioritized and it's gonna be three days to get these items out and they were 16 days behind SLA and I was like you poor child like I'm so sorry to hear that you went through that you know a lot of times when you're just dealing with traditional 3PL services, they have a lot of full-time workers, and that's all that, you know, they don't want to add a lot of temp workers because they, there's a question of whether those temps are going to be really great or not, and they don't want to take hours away from their full-time workers, but we've built a business around temps. Like, most of our workers are gig workers, and so we've got people that we've trained for that, but, you know, a bench at any point, which has been really great for peak season. So, you know, I think that's another thing I would just say as far as, like, who our ideal customer is, it's anyone that's really had an experience like that, you know, like, any I've kind of been second
0: fiddle before. I heard somebody say this before is what is the final straw before you call Courtney back? Or what is the final straw before you get rid of your current blank and go? And I always think, yeah, that's kind of it. So when the final, after the final straw, you're like, all right, I keep seeing Courtney. I saw Courtney on that podcast. Now it's time to call. That's the final straw. I, and I do also really like that you specialize because I feel like when people say logistics and supply chain, it misses the fact that some people are 100% cold chain. That's like a different world than the rest of us live in and then there's people who are like yourself who are completely apparel there's no sense saying yeah we do a little bit of apparel and over here we've got uh, high performance engine parts like and i'm not saying that you can't do that but to me it makes no sense because it's they're different worlds
1: yeah i think that's true and we tried that but it just, you know, we understood what we understood. And it was like, are we really providing as much value to this customer? We want, if we are working with someone, we want to provide a lot of value. You know, we want them to we want to really make a difference in their lives. And, you know, you can't do that if you don't really understand what you're working with. So, yeah, you're right.
0: Well, there's that old saying, you don't want to be a mile wide and an inch deep. You want to be an inch wide and a mile deep. And you guys have done that where you say we truly understand one space really well and if somebody says hey you know we want to move those engine parts you're like we'd love to but that's not what we do right now call, call us back in a few
1: years <laughs> well, and we, we're actually, we we've built like a bunch of a network of other 3pls where we pass those leads off
0: oh you're a good friend
1: yeah well and we hope they're gonna tell us because they don't want to handle the apparel right so
0: there you go courtney thank you so much i really love what you guys are doing it's it's again i've talked to a lot of different people and what you guys are doing is is different and I will say better for, for people who are in the peril space because again you, you want to find somebody who really specializes in the kind of problems you have and I love it
1: thanks for allowing me.
0: what I'll do is I'll put a link to your LinkedIn profile I'll also put a link to your website any other things you have I think you had a case study if you want to give me that case study I'll put that in the link and so people can reach, reach out and talk to you one last thing I'm going to put you on the spot and I should have told you this before we hit record what's Name one person who hasn't already been on my podcast, who I should interview. Somebody in logistics and supply chain, a smart young woman or man like yourself.
1: Oh my gosh, I know exactly who you should interview. Have you interviewed Mario, the CMO for Stored?
0: I have not. I, I've talked to Mario. So what's his last name? Is it it's an Italian name, right?
1: Pa- Pagliani. I don't know exactly how to say it. All right. I'll tell you, he's a total character. And another person that is at Stored that I also love is Bob Burns. And you want to talk about someone who is specialized and who is the best in the industry. He is the person who is the best in the industry at pricing. You will never meet someone who can solutions architect like him.
0: Well, and they are your fellow Atlanta folk, right?
1: They are. I love that company. I think they're doing some really cool things.
0: Yep. I have interviewed Sean Henry from Stored, and they are killing it down there in Atlanta. So I will follow up. And again, I don't know how Mario pronounces his last name, but when I was interviewing Sean, I talked to him. So I will reach out and talk to him. And Bob Burns. Thank you so much.
1: Yeah, you're welcome. It was great to talk to you today. And
0: thank all of you for listening to my podcast. Your support's very much appreciated. Until next time, Onward and Upward you've been listening to the logistics of logistics podcast where we engage in conversation with experts in the logistics field for more details visit the logistics or follow joe lynch on linkedin